0: Hello and welcome to Calling All Cars from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors.
1: Calling All Cars, the presentation of the Rio Grande Oil Company. Los Angeles Police calling all cars, attention all cars. Calling all Los Angeles County Sheriff's cars, broadcast 50 regarding a murder on Riverside Drive. All cars be on the lookout for a Buick Coupe, page 642. 8S Sugar 642. 8 Sugar 642. The suspect is believed to have escaped in this car. And that's all. Rose and Chris. Really use Rio Grande crack gasoline? Sure they do. And so the police car is another city. Crack gasoline does everything they say it does. Cities specify for all police cars, ambulances, and fire engine. But do you think gasoline really makes much difference in the police car? Huh? <laughs> I'll show you. Now, here, we're just calling along at five miles an hour. Notice? Calling car 42, car right. 42, a Berkeley of 836. Go. Oh, now there we are. 80 miles an hour. Boy, I'll show you what police car performance means. We'll so use every bit of power we can get out of that real Grande crack gasoline. Tonight, Pete James E. Davis. Of the Los Angeles Police Department has brought a guest with him, whom he will introduce, Chief Davis. Good evening, friends. It is a great source of satisfaction to me to observe how more and more the law enforcement agencies of the nation work closer and closer together. Whenever a major crime occurs these days, all facilities of municipal, county, state, and federal police are merged into a cooperative anti-crime army, with the result that fewer and fewer crimes remain unsolved. Tonight's story did not come under my official jurisdiction. It was solved under the direction of my guest and good friend, Gene Bisculew, Sheriff of Los Angeles County, and I have asked Gene to be my guest in the studio tonight and to say a few words to you. Ladies and gentlemen, Gene Biskilouz, Sheriff of Los Angeles County.
2: Thanks, Jim.
1: Good evening, friends of the Pacific Coast. The Los Angeles Police Department and the Sheriff's Office have worked many cases together. For had not the desire to catch the criminal subordinated any personal desire to grab the glory, there would not have been such a high percentage of solved crimes to which both departments can point with pride. Tonight's dramatization of calling all cars is a case in point where through the standard cooperation of Chief of Police Elmer Adams of Burbank and Captain William J. Bright of the Sheriff's Homicide Detail, the criminal was in custody within 24 hours after the crime was discovered. Peace officers today are working towards closer and closer cooperation, which eventually will make the criminal's careers so hazardous that crime will be minimized to a great extent. There will always be crime, particularly in metropolitan areas, and the peace officer or any department cannot expect to do the job alone, and it is our honest and unceasing effort to do our best and to give better service working together. Tonight's story begins with six shots at midnight. On with the show.
0: Go through the apartments and find out if everyone's all right. Uh, that's right. Uh, Lewis, uh, go through the court downstairs and I'll check this floor. No, ma'am, right Oh, come, right. Come, right. come along, Miss Smith. Oh, Mrs. Mrs. Madison's all right. That's all. she's alone tonight. Well, let's see. Mrs. Madison, are you there? Are you all right? If you're all right, answer me. I'm all right, Mrs. Smith those shots and that terrible groan, Mrs. Madison? Yes. They woke me up. Oh, it's terrible. I'm just sure that someone's been murdered. Oh, I think you're unduly upset. The shots probably came from the studio down the street. they did a to there tonight. Yes, but, but those horrible groans. And that shriek. You're forgetting that you shots not that Their, their street sounds very human. Oh, I,
2: I'm just... Sure, somebody's been murdered. Well, Mrs. Spencer, I've been all around the court downstairs, and everyone's all right. Uh, Mrs. Madison, you think the noise came from the picture studio? Well, now it might have a side.
0: There. <laughs> there, listen to that. And there go the peacocks. <laughs> they sound very much like a human being. And,
2: uh, <laughs> there's your mother, Mrs. Spencer. Oh, I, <laughs> I'm just i sure I heard human groans. <laughs> Just goes to show what imagination will do
0: for you. <laughs> yes, Mr. Spencer, I'm sure you imagined you heard human groans. Well, maybe. You'd better go back to bed, Mr. Spencer. I know I need my sleep. Good night, all. That's the same. They sounded like human groans. Mm. This apartment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure you'll like it here. I know I shall. So close to the studio. Mm-hmm. Lucky I ran into Miss Madison over the studio restaurant the other day. I'd never known about your playing. Mm-hmm. Indeed, it is. I wonder <coughs> if Missus Madison is in. I'd like to tell her I'm going to be a new Well, yeah, I haven't seen her since last night. She left a note on the door this morning. Asked yes, not to be disturbed. But certainly is up by now. now. Come this way. He's just down the hall. Ah, the note's still there. Well, if she isn't awake, she ought to be. <laughs> That's right. She's no use to be sleeping in the middle of a nice Sunday afternoon like this. Mrs. Madison. Oh, Mrs. Madison. Grace, something not she He might have left the gas heater on too high and been overcome. Have you passed the past day. Did you better open the door, there, Yes, sir. yes, I think I have. Mrs. Madison, Ooh, Mrs. Madison, she's not here. The bed's still down. Maybe she's hidden in the straw. I know. No, she's not in the bathroom. But look, well, what's the matter? Somebody's under the bed. Why? That's Mr. Madison. Maybe he's drunk or sick. Blood! Oh!
1: He's been murdered. Mrs. Spencer phones the Burbank police, and they enlist the aid of Captain Bright of the sheriff's homicide detail. As quickly as high-powered police cars can carry them, Chief Elmer Adams of Burbank, accompanied by deputy sheriffs, arrive at the scene of the crime. While the police photographer photographs the victim from every angle, Captain Bright and Chief Adams attempt to reconstruct the crime. Well, apparently he was shot in the back while he was lying in bed. Yes, the blood in the bed sheets was seen to indicate that. He fell off the bed in his death throes and was shot again through the right arm and the eye as he lay on the floor. Yes, and those bullet holes in the plaster there indicate the murderer missed Mrs. Mark twice. Must have been blind with anger to miss it this way. Yeah. Oh, hello, Killian. What did you find? Well, the victim's name is Eric Madison. He and his wife moved in here about a month ago. Where is his wife? And she hasn't been seen since early this morning. The manager's husband saw her go out about 8 o'clock. When was the victim last seen alive? Last night. Who saw him? Lewis, the custodian. Is he here? Yeah, uh, he's right outside in the hall. I'll talk to him. you Mr. Lewis? Yes, sir. When did you see Eric Madison alive?
2: Oh, well, last night, at a few minutes before 10, they uh, passed through the lobby on the way to his apartment. Did he speak to you? Yes, he said, uh, good evening, Ed.
1: Where was Mrs. Madison at that time? Just right
2: there in the lobby, didn't a few foot of me.
1: Didn't Mr. Madison speak to her?
2: Nope. He just passed by like he hadn't seen her.
1: Didn't that strike you as peculiar?
2: Well, I noticed it all right, but in this business, uh, we mind our own business.
1: Mm. Wouldn't you think that the incident showed that the couple's relationship was, well, somewhat strained, to say the least?
2: No that. Matter of fact, Mrs. Madison told me a week ago she had a lot of trouble.
1: What kind of trouble? Uh,
2: I don't know. Now, please don't hold
1: anything back on us, Mr. Lewis. We're trying to solve a murder.
2: Yeah, but it ain't none of my business. As a
1: citizen, you're expected to help peace officers in a case like this. Now, did she tell you why she had that trouble?
2: Oh, uh, yeah, she she said she suspected her husband of being interested in another woman. Did
1: you say why she had such suspicion?
2: Yep. That she checked the mileage on their car and knew that her husband must be a visiting some woman in Los Angeles.
1: Hmm. What kind of a car did they own? Uh, Billy Cook. You know the license
2: number? have Seen the car enough time. Let's see. Uh, oh, yeah. It's AS462. AS462.
1: Any idea where Mrs. Madison may be now?
2: How should I said I don't know.
1: Oh, where might she go? She really did commit this crime. I don't
2: know. But uh, she used to run a hotel down in Palm Springs, and, and she told me that she's gone deer hunting up to Jack Riley's ranch in Kern County lots of times.
1: Is that the big ranch up near the Quaser Mountain National Park?
2: Yeah, that's the place, All right.
1: Where else might she go? Oh,
2: well, there's a sister up in Montana.
1: Is that the same one is addressed on the death floor? No, I suppose so. Uh, what makes you think you should go there?
2: Well, just last night when we were a man in the lobby before Mr. Madison he come in, uh, she showed me a letter and she said it was to her sister in Montani and that she was to have everything Mrs. Madison had.
1: It seems to me that's a pretty significant statement. What did you say to that?
2: Nothing. It's not none of my business. <laughs>
1: Returning to headquarters, Captain Bright and Deputy Sheriff Killian sit down to discuss their findings and plan their strategy. Well, from what I can get on that fellow Lewis, it looks as though there might be a jealousy over All right. Right. Now, we might as well begin by eliminating the possible places to which you might escape. Got a description. Yes, and course, Good. Now, trace the route you might possibly take between here and Dillon, Montana and send the description to every town along the way. Also get it out on the state teletype. Sign care of name to it, Yes, sir. Now, Lewis said she used to run a hotel in Palm Springs, and that she also has gone deer hunting at Jack Riley's ranch in Antelope Valley. Well, if she'd be escaping to either of those places, she'd undoubtedly pick on Jack Riley's place. You've got a lot more chances hiding up there in the woods than you have down in the desert at Palm Springs. Right. So let's work on the Jack Riley lead first. Now, tomorrow morning, you'd better get Chief Adams from Burbank and Deputy Sheriff Rowe and drive up there. Yes, sir. Early the next morning, the three officers set out north on the ridge Route. At a state highway checking station, they discovered that the wanted car with the identifying license number had passed through the station the day before and had turned off toward Frazier Mountain Park. Elated, the officers hurry as fast as the steep mountain grades will permit to the ranch of Jack Riley. They are met at the door of the cabin by Riley himself. Well, hey, what are you, War? Officers of the law. Are you Jack Riley? Yes, I'm Riley. We've come for Nellie. Nellie who? Nellie Madison. She's here, isn't he? I haven't seen Nellie Madison since last fall. Yeah. Those tire marks in the driveway uh, look fresh to me. Uh, mind taking a look in the garage, Chief? Okay. Ah, uh, you can't go snoop around my page without a search warrant. Uh, get this straight, Mr. Riley. We're here investigating a murder. If you interfere, we'll gladly lock no, you up. Now, listen, I know my right. If you take a bit of advice, you'll shut up. Ah, but you're here, all right. Fine. Now, Mr. Riley, do you know what it means to be harboring a fugitive? Why did you say she wasn't here? Well... She did come in yesterday, but I don't know where she is now. She's in some trouble with her husband. You're lying, Riley. She's in your house now, and we're going in together. Well, you won't find her. She's been gone a good long time. One side, Riley.
2: Come
1: on, boys. I'll look through this bedroom. You boys take the other room. Ready? this big bundle of clothes in the corner? I don't know. Well, I'll tell you what it is. It's Nellie Madison. Uh Come on out, Nellie. Very well, I'll pull you out. It won't
0: be
2: necessary. It's
1: the trouble. We want to talk to you about your husband. He was shot and killed Saturday night. What do you know about it? Nellie, why didn't you tell me it was murder? Where's the gun? What gun? There's one in
0: my car.
1: Oh, go get it, will you, Chief? What do you know about the murder of your husband?
0: I know nothing about it.
1: What are you doing hiding up here?
0: I'm not hiding. I came up to visit. I haven't come up here. It's a lovely place. You think the view from here is splendid? With the desert coming uh, Just
1: a minute, Mrs. Madison. You're off the subject. No,
0: not the desert. the subject I like to talk about most. Here's
1: the gun, in. Oh. oh. A Spanish automatic. Is this the gun your husband was killed with?
0: I don't believe I care to talk about it. You
1: don't, huh? Where's your purse? you the drawer. Ah. how about this, Mrs. Madison? What? Here are two sales slips. You bought this Spanish gun the day before the murder. And you bought a Colt 3220 the day of the murder. Where is the Colt?
0: I gave it to my husband. He wanted it for protection.
1: Well, how about this sharpened herring knife, Mrs. Madison? Oh,
0: that I... Why
1: I? I might want to feel something sometimes. And this note. What about it? It reads, uh, "In case of death, I wish all my personal belongings to go to my sister, which is Mary E. Henanberry of Dillon, Montana. Mr. Thatcher of Palm Springs has many things and storage which I wish sent to us." Signed, Nellie B. Madison. What does this mean, Mrs. Madison? You intend to kill yourself?
0: I don't care to talk until I've seen him in All
1: right, get your things on. You're coming with us. Why? Must I make it any clearer? You're under arrest, Mrs. Madison, on suspicion of murder. Although she talked freely of unimportant things during the long trip back to Burbank, Mrs. Madison refuses to discuss the death of her husband. When the officers and their prisoner arrive at the Burbank Police Station, Captain Bright is waiting there for them. Now, Mrs. Madison, we want to ask you some questions. We merely want the truth from you.
0: Yes, Captain Bright.
1: Your name, please.
0: Nellie Brown Madison. Age? 39.
1: How long have you been in California?
0: Since 1920.
1: Have you been married before?
0: Yes. Mr. Madison was my fourth husband.
1: Well, that's quite a record. Suppose you tell me about them. Who was the first one?
0: When I was just a kid, I eloped from my home in Red Rock, Montana, with a man named Brothers.
1: What was his first name?
0: Oh, I'm not sure about his first name. I... It was Roy or Ralph or Robert, something like that. We were going to Ogden, Utah. But my father caught up with us at Salt Lake City and took me home and had the marriage annulled.
1: And the next one? In
0: 1917, I married a man named Trent. He was divorced in 1923. Then in May 1925, I married William J. Brown, an attorney in Los Angeles. We got a divorce in 1930. I married Mr. Madison about a year ago. hmm
1: Thank you. And now about this other gun, uh, Mrs. Madison, the Colt. I gave it
0: to my husband. Please. Can't I have an attorney? Yes, you may have an attorney. I shouldn't be giving out any information without an attorney. I feel I'm entitled to that protection.
1: Certainly. If you don't care to make a statement, it's... I
0: what I ask is fair.
1: Certainly. The law. You understand I haven't asked you a thing about the murder of your husband. I've only been asking you about your past. I know, but...
0: If I could have an attorney... I... You
1: know what you were accused of? No. You were accused of having murdered your husband. However, I won't ask you a single question about it. We can chop this statement off right here. I would like that, please. Very well. I want you to understand, Mrs. Madison, that you had a chance to tell your side of the story, but that you refused to do
2: so.
0: I don't care what construction you place upon my request. I will not talk until I have
2: consulted an
1: attorney. On March 29, 1934, mm-hmm. Nellie Madison is arraigned in Burbank Police Court on a charge of first-degree murder. She pleads not guilty, and the trial is set for June 6th. Mrs. Madison refuses to make a statement. Her attorneys promise a perfect defense. Meanwhile, Deputy Sheriff searched Riley's ranch and the murder apartment for the death-stealing weapon. Hours are spent plodding in the pine needles around the Riley place, But no trace of the gun is discovered. Mrs. Madison's refusal to make a statement further baffles the prosecution. As the date of the trial approaches, the police are forced to admit a double handicap. They are not in possession of the murder weapon, and they have not been able to establish a motive. The trial opens on June 6th, with Deputy District Attorneys George Stallman and Paul Palmer handling the prosecution. A jury of eight men and four women is impaneled, and the routine testimony of the various witnesses is heard. The manager of the apartment house tells of discovering the body. Captain Bright and Chief Adams of Burbank testify. Spencer B. Moxley, Los Angeles Police Department ballistics expert, testifies that two of the death shots were fired from a range of less than six inches. The salesman who told Mrs. Madison the two guns are heard. Hot spring days pass as the tension of the courtroom grows as the pile demands greater and greater space in the newspapers. A sensation is created when the prosecution introduces the murder bed with its blood-stained teeth as evidence. Throughout the horrible ordeal, Mrs. Madison never once loses her collected calm. Never once is anything but a lady. Week after the trial began, Mrs. Madison's attorneys begin their perfect defense. Your Honor, I would like to call another witness. You may? Mr. Arthur, please. Thomas, tell the truth, the whole truth, and the name of the truth to help you, God. I do. Your name, please. Ralph T. Arthur. You were acquainted with Eric B. Madison? Yes. How long? For About a year. Mr. Arthur, I have here a photograph of the body of the victim in this case as it lay on a slab in the county morgue. Is this Eric Madison? No,
2: that is not the Eric Madison I knew. Order, order in the court.
1: Now, Mr. Arthur, here is a picture identified as a photograph, a photographer's portrait of Eric Madison. Do you recognize it? Well, mm, uh,
2: yes, that is, Eric.
1: Will you tell the court, please, the difference between these two pictures?
2: Well, well, this corpse here has a scar on his forehead and a mole on either side of his nose, and the picture of Eric has. It.
1: Did Eric Madison have a scar on his forehead or on moles on either side of his nose? No, not that I can remember. Your Honor, my client is accused of murdering her husband but I will establish beyond a shadow of a doubt that she could not be guilty of this crime, for the victim is not her husband. Mrs. Madison, did you kill your husband, Eric Madison?
0: I did not kill him or anyone else, ever.
1: Did you have any reason to kill him? No. The prosecution procures the original negative of the disputed Madison portrait from the photographer in Portland and quickly blasts the defense contention that the victim is not Madison by showing how the original negative was retouched to remove the scars and molds before the final prints were made. By June 21st, Deputy District Attorney Solomon begins his summary to the jury. The manner and means of this crime were so abominable that the state demands and expects a verdict of murder in the first degree without recommendation. The contention of the defense that the victim is not Eric Madison is patently a fantastic hope which I know you intelligent ladies and gentlemen of the jury have already dismissed from your mind. If we have not proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that the murdered man is Madison, then you are entitled to retire to the jury room and find Nellie Madison not guilty. But we have proved that the victim of this atrocious crime was Eric Madison. The evidence here is that Nellie Madison has refused to talk. She demanded to see an attorney. She was smart and cunning. A woman with a wicked heart. She stands condemned on her own silence. I charge you, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, to bring back a verdict of guilty with no recommendation. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury... Did you ever lose suddenly and horribly someone you held most dear? Have you ever been so stunned by personal misfortune that you were cold and indifferent to all that transpired about you? If you have, then you will know what happened to Nellie Madison throughout this trial. There can be no murder without a motive. And what possible motive could this woman have? The Madisons were a loving couple. The prosecution has not only asked you to hang a woman, but by all we've shown during this trial, to hang an innocent woman. Don't do this. Don't have this thing on your soul. This woman to the gallows on the tenuous strings of circumstantial evidence. Remember the command of the Almighty Father Thou shalt not kill. <laughs> appeal of the defense could not sway the jury and on June 21st they returned a verdict of guilty of first degree murder with no recommendation. Such a verdict amounting to mandatory death sentence. Nellie Madison has appealed her case. She is now in a women's prison at the Hatchipi awaiting that appeal. Thank you Sheriff Office. How did you like your first ride in a police car? Huh? Oh, I feel kind of worn out. <laughs> oh, but what punishment you fellows give a car. I see now what real Grandi means when they advertise police car performance with cracked gasoline. Yeah, no ordinary gasoline would do for police work. We've got to have all the power there is in the engine. Cracked gasoline's the best gasoline our city chemists could find. Except for Apple, too. i buy the same gasoline for my own car, from that real grandy service station right over there better use it yourself. Uh, Thanks, and I'm sold. From now on, I'll use Rio Grande crack gasoline, too. <laughs>